Nothing like a bridge of a thousand corpses for your first away mission. It's V'ger, please. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Enterprise did we review this week? Season 1, Episode 3, Fight or Flight. So, Peter, you did not enjoy our travel through Broken Bow. You had some harsh words of the quality of the show that I had convinced you to to continue our, our, our adventure with. Has that opinion changed at, at all? Are you, are you feeling... Are you asking? Was this a boring, <laughs> shitty episode? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little boring, little shitty, little shitty. I mean, <laughs> it was a lovely room of death. That that part was cool. The B plot being a slug. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I think what needs to happen at this point is Bran and uh, old Rick Berman need to get the fuck out of the writer's chair. Let's go back to Broken Bow real quick. It it's hard coming off the tail end of Voyager. With, out of season seven specifically, which overall was pretty great, right? You're getting peak product and having to, to rebuild a show from the ground up, especially in this time frame for the Federation or earth, we should say, could that first episode have been amazing for network television, you know, go to with like Battlestar Galactica, which has Galactica come out at this point. No, no, it's a couple years away. Okay, so Hollywood has not discovered the secret sauce for the golden age of television that would culminate with um, Game of Thrones. Again, you take episode one of Enterprise and you compare that to any other Star Trek pilot episode. I think, and it hurts a little bit to say, but it, it wasn't bad. No, not at all. It wasn't anywhere near as great as what we were getting out of season seven from Voyager. And how could it be, you know, if we're going to give this thing a fair shake, which which I certainly want to do. But you got to you got to lay that foundation. You got to establish the ground rules. You got to introduce the characters. I think Broken Bow was a much better series premiere than Encounter at Farpoint. If you're really asking me as far as like which one of these was an entertaining, cohesive, well-produced, well-paced hour and a half of television well acted well acted yeah i would say for the most part patrick stewart was a little rough in that if i don't know how long it's been since you watched encounter at farpoint but it's he's stilted uh to say the least a young version of patrick stewart playing that character at 70 percent of his true power is still pretty good but broken bow was pretty cohesive and still kind of boring at least by my viewpoint and unfortunately i don't think this what we're gonna well it's a third episode because broken bow was a two-parter this is a rough choice uh for your your follow-up episode the first contact the moral decisions and directives a little bit of space combat not bad little paint by numbers but then the whole B plot again being the slug and uh, what's her name Hoshi. Yeah, so it is a bit odd that this episode's main focus is one of essentially the more minor characters. It's Hoshi Sato, the communications officer, instead of the captain or T'Pol or even Trip. Right, like your your three mains. This is this is below the line on, on in terms of your main characters, and this is really Hoshi's episode. We didn't really get to know very much about her in the pilot, so it's nice that they're they're allowing her and by uh, 
proximity some flocks to to get through in this episode. But it is kind of strange that this is pretty early to be leaning so hard on your minor characters and giving them whole episodes to 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 use. Let's take a step back because even as we discuss uh, the episode in very loose terms like this, like I'm having a hard time putting my finger on why I came away unhappy. It was a cohesive story. There was that, again, that moral directive, uh, that, that go humanity point. It, there was some good slice of life, which I like seeing just life around the ship. Self-doubt, you know, we're not getting perfect, great, high conviction characters. These are people that have a lot of room to grow. I'm getting a cohesive story that reflects on its past experiences. And that's something I often said I'd give my left arm for in Voyager. What what should I want out of Star Trek Enterprise? What should a Star Trek fan want out of Enterprise? And is the difficulty I'm having in these first two episodes, is that something that other people had back in 19? Oh, this is what, 2001? Yeah, 2001. Where were you at on this stuff when it came out? I was watching it. It was right after 9-11. I was absorbed in politics at the time. I, I didn't watch any Enterprise until it had been out for a year already. All right. So, so I never caught, I didn't catch this when it started uh, started out on broadcast TV. When you did finally start watching it, where were you at? I mean, did you instantly come in warm? Were you holding it at arm's no. distance? No. So um, I was one of the many people, I think, that never really got into Enterprise. And then it wasn't until the third season was going on. I watched some of the second season. I wasn't impressed by what I saw. And I just you know, I was in college. It's actually much harder to take the time to sit down to watch something when you've got a lot more going on in your life. Absolutely. And uh, I didn't really try to watch it. And then it was actually the advent of of uh, some of the more popular video sharing file sharing services at the time. Got uh, your LimeWire going. <laughs> exactly. That I had heard from someone in class that was also a nerd that was like, Oh, enterprise actually got really good in season three and you should watch it. And I wound up downloading it all and did get, I start. I just literally just started watching in season three and really enjoyed it. And then started watching it in season four when it was on live. What a crazy way to, so you yeah. just came in to season three and said, I'm going to give this thing a fair shot. And if it's good, I'll go back and watch the early seasons. Correct. And that's what I did. And it season three is really, really, really good and very different than the rest of the show that came before it. And you'll certainly see why it, it because of that experience. It probably warmed me up a little bit to season one and season two, because I knew that the quality improved so dramatically because I had this odd experience of the first time I watched it. I guess I just don't have that sort of feeling you're having of like, what is this? But I kind of get it though. I'm, I, all of that to say what I think is maybe throwing you off a little bit is that there's a lot of things here that are very Trek, but a lot of things that are not it's, it has to do with, I think the casual nature of the characters because Stevie was pointing this out to me while we're watching it. I thought it was a really good point of like, these guys are just acting like dudes. You know, they're not like the sort of stilted, perfect future people that we're used to seeing because they're so close. They're so much closer to the people we are. And so like the whole episode revolves a lot around Hoshi's like, I don't really want to be in space. I'm, I don't like space things. And her kind of like 
going to her friend, Jonathan Archer, who happens to also be her boss and be like, I suck at this. I, I need to not do this. I, you need to take me back to my school. I feel like I'm over my head. I wasn't yeah. ready to be a, a, you know, that scene out of Blade 2 where all the people are being drained of their fluids as Capri Sun bags up in the ceiling. You saying that highlights a lot. This version of it, it's interesting. This version of Starfleet should theoretically be much more militant, right? This is closer to World War Three. This is closer to the savage time of uh, humanity. I don't agree. I think it should be the way it is because they're trying to get beyond that. So they're purposefully not being militaristic. They just want to be explorers. Uh, they don't they just want to go out and shake everyone's hands because they're in that golden utopian age that has come after you've rebuilt yourself out of the ashes. Man, look, you know, the AOK go up in space and, and tell the the Vulkies to fuck off. And it's our show now. Like that decision wasn't made by the president of Earth. It was made by a military admiral. You know, he has forever changed the course of humanity. Like this version of Starfleet, they're wearing military jumpsuits. I perceive that there should be a much tighter military organization feel, yes sir, no sir, out of this era of humanity than what we see in, uh, you know, the twenty fourth with uh, with Voyager or Enterprise or DS nine. So it's interesting to see these guys a lot more casual, a lot more like we are scientists going up to the North Pole to. We're scientists that don't fucking know anything, too. Like, it isn't like nerdy space people in the 24th century who actually know what they're kind of getting themselves into. Yeah, and have a huge safety net, right? And that's yeah. the other thing. You are out in space on this fucking tin can that you're going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. I hope this thing doesn't fall apart when we hit warp five for the first time ever. We're in a highly experimental test piece of crap. There is no room for error or fucking around I, I would think that would be like everybody needs to stick to the playbook uh we need to be in full communication with home base and everything needs to be airtight because this is life or death not only might this spaceship rip apart and blow us all out into space but also there's dudes out here there's space vampires out here turning people into capri sunbags versus the 24th where it's like yeah we got this galaxy class flying hotel with this huge safety net we haven't been in a war since the cardassian things and uh, all our wife and kids are here and we all fuck everything all the time. <laughs> um, you know, there'll, there'll be plenty of, of opportunity for the 22nd century to get freaky as well. Don't you worry. Uh, gold star to this episode for 0, 0.0 gratuitous bullshit sex. That was the first question my wife asked me. She's like, do you see any good nipple in this episode? And I was like, um, fortunately, as odd as it seems to say, Fortunately, not. I, I'm able to <laughs> basis uh, judge this on the base of its own merits and not, I don't know, uh, shock at what Rick Berman stooped to to, to get this thing going on. So uh, we have one of the most low stake openings in a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Very of low stakes. One. Oh wait, wait, before we even move in on that, like we're talking about what's going on behind the scenes here a little bit. Story, as we mentioned, is uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Director Alan Croker. Talk about a guy with some weight on him, right? Like this dude has friends behind the scenes. This guy's getting this isn't LeVar Burton. This isn't the guy getting the table scraps here. 
Now he he did a lot of DS9, and of course he he did a lot of Voyager, a lot of good Voyager, particularly Year of Hell, of course, Bride of Chaotica, before and after that was a really good Kess one, her Quantum Leap episode. He did Workforce. Did the sad sack space Amish that's displaced. Ugh. Did Fairhaven. Uh, oh no. Inside Man was great. That was uh more, more hits than than negatives. I'll say that. Big hits. Big, big hits. And he actually came off on Endgame too. So um this is a this is a studio favorite. Um but yeah, they're they're opening up with super low stakes opening. You got Hoshi and Flox hanging out, Flox continues to warm me up quickly and i'm curious if i'd be so hot so keen on flocks if he wasn't so neelix adjacent good neelix adjacent anyways as we've been reminded on the trauma support group there's quite a back catalog of bad versions oh, yeah. of neelix there's con- there's a continuum of neelixes as has been uh pointed out by one of our fans and i failed to produce such a a continuum but it allowed us to discuss the 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 premise uh today and i i firmly believe that the least neelix is definitely lung stolen neelix just because if you go back and listen to our episode about that if we we were so contemptful of lungs have been stolen neelix he's way worse than jilted boyfriend neelix i don't know man the fucking kess paris neelix love triangle was such a a low point for voyager like it drags me back to that era as just fucking miserable voyager at its peak but Flox is like if Party Neelix had an MD. He's he's got a very positive attitude. Flox is uh, gets a, a little bit more screen time, not just in talking with Hoshi uh, about the slug that she apparently took off a planet. <laughs> like talk about rules not existing yet. Like part of the B plot is them essentially putting an invasive species from another yes. planet on, on an entirely different planet and then fucking off. <laughs> we got a slug. And it's not too happy living on a starship. So we're not going to take it back where we got it. And we're not just going to incinerate it or whatever, you know, put it in a pickle jar. Feed it to Flox's bat. <laughs> I think was nobody the- on the Enterprise has ever been to Australia and knows about frogs or whatever other crazy invasive species. Uh, the mussels, the Asian mussels. God, fuck. Do you get stink bugs down by you? Those Asiatic stink. Man. Yeah, it's not good. The struggle is real up here. I, I, I've i killed a lot of creatures in my time in Columbus. But um, <laughs> yeah, just drop this thing down off on some other planet and hope to God that, I don't know, it doesn't turn it into a world of goo somehow. But uh, Hoshi and Phlox are, uh, I, I guess, a duo that wind up doing quite a bit together. Um it makes a degree of sense. They are both people who wound up on the ship more by happenstance than by purpose. Um, Hoshi has, has been established in the, in the premiere and is very well established in this episode is somebody who's really on this boat because Jonathan Archer talked her into it. Um, They have a very, they, they have a very close relationship that never gets fully fleshed out in the show as to how they know each other as well as they do. They used to hang out in AOL chat rooms. <laughs> is that it? Is that yeah, is that your... just used to hang out in AOL chat rooms, or maybe, or actually, it was a future. So maybe it was like Yahoo chat rooms, and they met it. Did you ever? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Did bold, you ever bold, make... bold suggestion. Yahoo exists in the twenty second century, but go on. Well, hey, you know China. I don't know. Did you ever make the mistake of going to a a chat room meetup in real life? No, not in real life. Uh, I've, I've did go, I take that back. I have been to Reddit meetups. 
Ooh. <laughs> and that wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. And that was a that was a long time ago, though. I haven't been to a Reddit meetup, you know, probably since God, not probably since I haven't even met Stevie. And that would have that would have been 2013. So it was a long time ago. There was the Cincinnati uh R slash Cincinnati, and then uh I did one for my alma mater, my undergrad alma mater. Well, I was in some Columbus Yahoo chat room and I went to the meetup at someone's apartment and boy lesson learned on that one but I'm glad to that, see that. that that sounds like so much more danger like we met at a bar dude <laughs> like that was the I, I wasn't gonna go any other way <laughs> I was young and dumb it was early in college and man that was that was a bad scene but I'm glad to see that uh, Archer and Hoshi's uh, chat room meetup was able to produce so much more productive things i like that as she goes through this uh this b plot experiencing regret like she's continues to try to talk herself up on why to stay and why she needs to be there and the opportunities and she's basically reading what i assume was archer's like hard pitch sales talk to her there's gonna you're an exo linguist there's all of these aliens you're gonna get to talk to them I need you. You can even you can kind of hear it in her own mind of the pitch she got from Archer to do this. But it wraps with, uh, and I also like that Flox isn't afraid to. It's not all. I don't know how, what the right way to put. It. He says shitty things, but they seem he's a little he, nicer. Maybe he he is giving good advice. You know, which is to say, Tough love. I'm not going to try and like talk you into staying. I'm going to talk you into listening to what you want to do. And if that means what you want to do is to get the fuck off this boat, then that's what you should do. You know, like he's not being super like raw team Starfleet because he's not part of Starfleet, right? He's on this mission basically on by accident of being the only doctor on earth that's ever seen a Klingon before. <laughs> like, so he's not like a vested, builder. Yeah, he doesn't have a vested interest in specifically having Hoshi stay. And is interested, of course, in her personal well-being and is trying to kind of parse out like, yeah, listen, if you're a, the slug that's out of your environment, you need to go back to your environment. That's what you should do. That It's not really shitty so much as just the truth. I thought the way he said it at the end was like, oh, yeah, maybe we should drop the slug off where it'd be happier teaching classes. There, there's a little zing to it. I don't know. Um, we move over to the high point of the episode, which is a skip button on that intro. Yeah, and it skips just enough because it gives you that little piece at the end so you know what you missed. Yeah, you feel like, better for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I propose moving forward that anytime one of us has a serious uh, Trek faux pas, the punishment is actually having to watch the intro. <laughs> okay, you know what? Deal. Deal. Oh. We're going to hold each other accountable. But you oh. have, you, that bargain is struck. Talk about regret. I will come to hate myself for that. <laughs> Two ten twenty two. a day to live in infamy. Move over nine eleven. So uh, the premise of the A plot is that Enterprise is out there. They're traveling at warp five. They're doing their thing. And they haven't run into anything yet. Haven't run into the other aliens, any other ships, any other inhabited planets. The slug was the most interesting that they think they'd run into in the first couple weeks out there. Real quick to nerd calibrate. This is warp five in the... 24th century scale or this is warp five according to original series excellent point i know what you mean because the warp scale 
in all of the Apocrypha was altered after the original series because it warp factors went above nine. You go to warp 10, 11, 12 or whatever. And it wasn't trans warp. It was just faster because that was all basically B canon. That's never been established as part of a canon in any way. It's hard to know. Most uh, people have interpreted warp five to mean warp five on the old scale. So pretty slow. Still, you know, significantly faster than anything that's come before it. But it it's probably correct to assume that they're supposed to be a unified scale. I don't know. It's probably going to be one of those things you have to look at, like uh, Klingons. You know, why why do all the Klingons have good makeup? Dude, they literally spend a multi-part episode explaining that. Well, I haven't watched it yet, so don't yeah, like so, it, so that's exist. not the case. They never clarify the warp thing because the warp thing was never uh, a conflict that they it's highlighted. Writing out of Star Trek, never. So I don't know. I th- I think it's all in the eye of the beholder if it's old scale versus new scale. But the point is, warp five is still much faster than anything that they've ever done before, and still meant I think to be pretty slow relative to the what we end up seeing, obviously, and even in TOS. That's something to think about. Uh, yeah, so they're they're scooting around warp five, which it, it's funny to think them being so close to Earth and encountering all this crazy stuff for the first time. You've got the, I guess, the C plot or maybe the A point five plot, which is goes back to what I said before, the ridiculous nature of what we are seeing here. It's a bunch of guys scooting around in a tin can that has barely been tested, flying by the seat of their pants uh, with their asses hanging right out there. And wouldn't you know it? Their guns don't work. <laughs> not only do their guns not work, this episode's comedy beat is all of the buildup over these torpedoes that they have and testing them and getting them right and having them work only to find out that they're incredibly ineffective weapons against aliens. Like they're mm-hmm. not actually good at doing anything. Like, think about it. You're going into deep space with no torpedo, with no real weapons. Like, how crazy stupid that seems, especially after the 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 in over our head shit they got into with the what do they call the Sulaks? Slubians. I don't know, man. Putting our only ship out there exposed with guns that don't work. Like. Turn this thing around. You got you guys can spend an extra two weeks in space dock, I think. So I did like uh, Dominic's commentary that like this shit should have been done before we even left Earth. Like, yeah, absolutely. This is they sent you out here to die, dude. You you just call it. So you're calling Reed by his actor's name. Is that his name? I don't know. I still haven't really. Yeah. Dominic that. Keating is the actor's name. It is Malcolm Reed. That is the character's name. He seems much more a Dominic to me. Dominic yeah. seems way more Star Trekky. I mean, those are either of those names could fit for his character, but his name is Malcolm Reed. And yes, it is the this this should have been done before we left because we literally don't have guns, but no one else is really concerned about it. Right. The captain's like, ah, fix it as we go along. Who cares? It's not like we're going to go around shooting people. That's just it's not happened. like I'm going to go drag us into a fight. We've got no reason to be in or anything silly like that. I like how it's like, hey, yeah, drop us out of warp. We're going to take these missiles. Is there money on Earth at this point? Or have they evolved beyond that already? Never made clear. We're going to take these. Let's assume they're, you know, half a million dollar a pop torpedoes and just 
shoot them off willy nilly. Let's find yeah, an shoot, Let's shoot some asteroids. Make sure this shit works. Make sure they don't turn around and come right back at us. And this goes back to the way the show positions itself. And I think it positions itself in a way that I like of not being militaristic. So I, I, I want to defend that perspective for a second because I know you're, I, I heard you before you're of the opinion they should be much more militaristic than they are. I think the idea that no one's really thinking about the weapons on the ship because no one's intending to use them because they're on a, like a groovy, you know, exploration trip and they're just going to say hello to people and they're going to visit strange new worlds and scan things and get soil samples and look at stars I I I buy that. Like this seems like a group of people who vibe that way and Malcolm reads the one dude who's like, "No. We need to have guns. <laughs> this is bullshit." I was in a dinky little shuttlecraft that got shot the fuck up. Maybe a lot more of the stuff would click correctly for me if this was the first episode of the series. But again, in light of being in the middle of a, a huge multi-million dollar shoot 'em up action extraordinary adventure, Last episode, it puts things in a different perspective. That's a good point. They did just have an initial adventure where they had to do a lot of shooting. A lot of shooting. A lot of shooting happened. A lot of blowing up. They had to put a tricobalt <laughs> device on a, uh assassin beehive. That's a good point. They, they now know that there is going to be shooting. That they just made like a shit ton of enemies of the silly putty people. Mm-hmm. So maybe that should have been the reason why there's like, a temporal cold war. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What? So the captain should have come down and been like, yeah. So uh, after our adventures with uh, with 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 Mr. Slimy face, uh, please tell me our weapons are working. Yeah. <laughs> they might come back. You'd think. Or maybe he just thinks he's on Voyager where there's no repercussion from episode to episode. and He gets a clean slate to move forward from. Uh, so they finally come across. No, 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 they don't. There's there's what I would call the real B plot in this. And that is, despite whatever Jonathan Archer said last episode, uh, he still wants to be a shitty little bitch about Vulcans. His least attractive character trait is this incredible grudge he has against Vulcans for reasons that are quite frankly unreasonable. And it keeps coming up and it's one of the big reasons why I don't like him. Despite the fact he says, I'm moving past this. I've forgiven these grievances. I'm going to grow as a person. Then he's like right back into it. I'd say his least attractive character trait isn't like his, his beef with the Vulcans, but just like the childlike petulance that he has being his primary decision-making drive. Yeah, this beef does not end until season four, in reality. Like, Doesn't the it, series end in season four? Yeah. He just takes a long time to actually, like, get over this. It, his rationale for why he hates the Vulcans is that they held back the development of the Warp 5 engine and his dad died before seeing the project come to fruition. That's actually the reason. The the reasoning the Vulcans had was like, no, you humans are fucking buck wild. We don't want you rolling around in the fucking galaxy already. Are you kidding me? Have you met you? Holy, you are you way guys too are extra. Buck wild, and your weapons suck, as you will come to find out. And that's a yeah. You're, you're not ready for this, and so they they chose to quietly, passive aggressively slow them down by not helping. That's that is an entirely rational reason to not help you. Like. 
And Jonathan Archer is so damaged over this. It's like a Vulcan personally showed up and killed this fucking dog in front of him. <laughs> He's you know, like, like Don Wick. That's why he brought it. Porthos with him just to like taunt to Paul with the scent the entire time. Yeah. I love, I, well, I'm loving Porthos, by the way. I never oh, thought so I'd say cute. that about a beagle. <laughs> so I don't adorable. know if they gave him drugs to like make him not bark all the time. Like maybe that dog's just high as shit on morphine or something, but that's. That's a great dog. So uh, everybody around the bridge, you know, a lot of long faces like this is boring. All we found was a slug. We're out here for action adventure and like, uh, you know, Wild West stuff. We're not getting any of that. DePaul's like, it's not a big deal. Don't sweat at it. Spa- at space, it's empty. <laughs> like, get used to it. There's nothing out here. Come on. You must want to, you know, you you guys got to know about something. Nope. We, we don't go out there looking for problems. We just go after whatever the objective is and that's it. And then she kind of like throws him a bone. She's like, well, hey, look, here's some fucking piece of shit out here. You, you want this? And he's like, yeah, I do. Fly us over there. Let's see what's going on. There was so they- a there was a neat scene where Flock sits down with Trip in the mess hall and you get more of Flocks being like, oh, I'm not bored. You humans are a delight to observe. Those two are fucking like <laughs> it's... I like the way she smells after she's sweating. Some real creeper vibes. I like it. Yeah, because you get it because he's he's friendly, but he knows nothing about human social interaction. He doesn't know what he's saying is extraordinarily weird because he doesn't have that kind of context. Maybe he doesn't I, care. I like uh, the mention that on their planet, eating at the table was considered extremely taboo and wasteful. Talking well during talking. a meal. Yeah, uh, but that he has grown very fond of it, like this uh, counterculture thing he might bring back to his planet, this invasive thought. Yeah, w- what we'll find out about Denoblia is that it is extraordinarily densely populated and that families like live in small spaces. And so a lot of his blunt weirdness has to do with just barriers. Social barriers for him are a very different thing. And it plays off super well in his character. Like you kind of like get that vibe and then you get the backstory and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Totally makes sense. So T'Pol points out this ship. They fly over there and you have, uh, for those of you out in the audience that have ever played Dungeons and Dragons uh, as an adult, you, know, you, you hit that point where you have your first adventure and you kill your first knoll or or goblin, right? You have to sit around and come to terms and say, wow, I just killed something. You have to have this whole fake count as if we're not playing a game specifically designed around uh, murder, rampage and pillage. We have to have this moment of morality. Like why, you know, how do I feel about the fact that we have just killed other sentient things? And it's like, all right, hit the fast forward button. Let's get, come on, give me the loot. Let's move on from here. That's, that's this point of this. Like we show up, there's a ship, our technology sucks at this point. We've got real limited scanning. Is scanning someone uh, non-consensually going to cause an incident? They're not answering. Are they not answering because like they're all drowning and they need help? Or are they not answering because uh, you know they don't want anything to do with the hairless monkeys banging on their door? I do like the that all of this is being considered in real time. Of like, oh, we've never had to deal with this before. Shit. What do we do, right? There's no policy. There's no Starfleet regulations. They just had to figure it out for themselves. It would have been interesting if a member of the crew assigned by Starfleet or Earth would have been 
just a diplomat, a politician. If 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 it wouldn't be like we're going to put all of our eggs in the one basket, and that's going to be Jonathan Archer, who was a head engineer on the ship, right? Well, he was he was a big part of the development of the Enterprise, right? He he was, yeah. So the guy who built this thing, he's going to be the guy who flies this thing, and he's also going to be the guy who is the ambassador to Earth. And he doesn't know how to knock on the door the right way, or even if you should knock on the door. And if people don't answer, where do you go from there? And when you knock on the door, you tell everybody that where your planet is. That, that. was that was very weird. <laughs> Hi, I'm we're, we're for Enterprise. I'm Jonathan Archer. Um, we're from Earth. We're, we, we just have delicious say enzymes. Hope you enjoy enzymes because here's where a whole planet of them are. Mm-hmm. We've got resources. You guys like water? We got a lot of water. Come by and visit. I hope you're not the Borg or even the morgue or, or even like the Orions. Like, like you gotta be careful out here, man. Like or the Kazon. Yeah. Yeah. Like one, one space hoopty could F first all the way up right now. Like they could not afford that. How lucky for this cycle of evolution that everybody is roughly on the same footing, that there's not like the elder race of, uh, Prometheans or whatever from Mass Effect or I'm trying to think of what some of the elder races were in Star Trek but like everybody's gun sucks everybody's ship slow and sure like as you start encountering other species and acquiring their technology it's going to leapfrog your stuff and everybody's going to cheat off each other's homework to the point where you've got like a an even arms race but like that's the thing though it's not even like the Vulcans are way ahead the Klingons are way ahead both races, the Enterprise encounters in this episode are way ahead. Like they have shields, which the Enterprise does not like. Uh Oh, do they say who the bad guys are? No, they never do. Unnamed villains. I mean, unnamed villains, they might have shields, but like their weapons still suck. Otherwise, they would have like really shit housed uh, the Enterprise much faster than they did. So I don't know. I mean, you're not dealing with. 24th century Romulan technology out there could like just one shot, at least at this stage from what we've seen from the rest of the galaxy. So eventually they say, well, you know, we're, we're going to push forward, even though they are not returning our calls. We're going to just make sure that they're they're safe. We see some questionable looking markings on the outside of the hall. It looks like a forced entry. Let's get over there. I enjoy the discussion of how we blow the fucking doors off this thing. And then Archer's like, oh, hey, there's a doorbell. <laughs> And just open it. No, Malcolm, you don't get to blow this up. Obviously, Hoshi is brought along on the mission. Hoshi is trepidatious about that. She is so uncomfortable on a spaceship that she had to switch quarters with someone else so she could see the stars past the quote right way. So she is uh, not not feeling it. But she goes along to get onto the not at all creepy starship that definitely nothing bad happened in, and then. Uh, you know, they're wandering around and then they find this neat little hydraulic machine and like wonder what that's for. And then Hoshi starts screaming her head off and, you know, the captain t- turns around and sees that he happens to be in a, a, a room with a bunch of meat hooks and a bunch of dead aliens on upon them. So, you know, this is a nice first away mission for Earth right here. This is this <laughs> you it, space is filled with Cthulhu-esque horrors. So we might as well break it to you right now. Hoshi freaks out and she'll come to uh, have that flip out hanging over her head as a, a, a particular sore spot of self-doubt. Um, 
I was kind of expecting like them to misread the situation. Maybe this was some sort of like voluntary regeneration cycle. This is the species goes through or like fuck this equipment up and like wake up a bunch of people real pissed off that their naps were ruined. But no, it's exactly what it looks like. Uh, Like the predator got on here and strung them all up from the ceiling, hooked them all up to a bunch of tubes and they're being like juice pumped. Like yeah, they're being juiced. Pipes. They're being juiced. Yeah. So they, after the initial what the fuck, they decide just to leave, right? They're just like, well, fuck this. Let's get out of here. And then they go back to the shuttle and they go back to the ship. And they're like, yeah, there was just like a room of like 15 corpses in it. And everyone's dead. And something very weird is happening here. And to Paul's like, cool. Can we go? Can because we you go think now? maybe that's going to happen to your crew? If yeah. those dudes come back here, because whoever which, did it's come is coming back for grab their fucking crab, you know, fucking net, and uh, we don't want to be here when it happens. Which hey, you want, do you want I, old Bay on you, Captain? Yeah. <laughs> do you want that? I Great don't think you want that. Great advice. So far, to Paul, despite her gratuitous sex scenes, uh, I enjoy her brand of real talk. And Archer kind of drags his feet around and everybody else in the ship's like, yeah, no, I don't want to get fucking juiced. Maybe we should go. So off they zip. And uh, we get a very depressing little dinner scene. So is Trip, Archer and T'Pol eating dinner going to be an ongoing setting? It absolutely is. Which actually I think ends up being a good thing. It allows the three of them. It allows a structure for the three of them to consistently have scenes where they're just talking about stuff. And it helps establish all three of them at different times and in different episodes. I also one we skipped over a, a scene here, which was uh, Hoshi kind of showing a lot of her self-doubt to Archer before the away team mission. I like the idea that away team missions are a big fucking deal that there's a lot of prep time that goes into it. They have to get the, you know, they're not using the transporters to beam over real casual. Like they're, they're, they're suiting up and rolling out. Um, and like also, trip fights to get on the team and doesn't get on it because, you know, all of them are very, very eager to get off the ship and do space faring things. I also like the fact that the, they're going into like inhospitable climates. So there's a lot of space suit use. Are those going to be used heavily or? Do they oh, start- yeah. All the time. And they're better, obviously better looking than the ones they used on Voyager because they purpose built new ones. It they, they look good. I wouldn't want to be trapped in that thing, um, but it makes sense for them to have that stuff on. I, I don't know if I agree with John Archer's decision to eat as much cheese as he did before his first contact with yeah, the alien species. You don't want to make it gassy, man. You don't want to have a gassy <laughs> suit. Mm-mm. I did. I, I did. don't know about feeding your dog that much cheese before you go out to work. Like, is he just trying to come back to diarrhea all over his? That's exactly order? what my wife said. By the way, it was like, "Why are you doing this? You're just gonna have fucking runny shits all over, dude." Does Bram Brana or uh, Rick Berman not have a dog? Do they not know the fire that Archer's playing with there? Like, that's you could be the great, like the best, biggest win first contact. And it's not going to matter when you come back and see diarrhea on your shoes. Hoshi comes, expresses her doubts before the mission. And this kind of where the casual nature of her relationship with Archer is quite clear. Because she's she's not like 
I mean, there's a, there's yes, sir, but it's very much like, what the fuck? I, I am not, I am not up for this. Please don't make me go. <laughs> like, don't make me do this. I'm only here because you talked me into it. Come on, man. Uh, but you know, Archer pulls the charm out. I was like, you can do this. Bucks are up. We're going to bite your, bite your lip and we're going to make this happen. And then the mission goes the way it does. She's, she, as she says, screams like a 12 year old, uh, at the sight of corpses. Flox tries to like convince her. That's not a big deal. Like I, I really liked his line of like, you saw something that you'd not seen before and it disturbed you. You should be grateful that your experiences have not to date included seeing a room full of corpses. Like that's okay. That's probably good. You know, like when I saw my first room of corpses, it was also terrible. I I liked, I liked that sort of way of interacting of like, was yeah, you screamed mean- was that when he name dropped the Nausicans? Yeah, I think so. The scenes with Archer being as sweet and and friendly with Hoshi really is what makes him being needlessly shitty with DePaul seem as jarring as they do, right? So so jump forward, we're having the dinner after uh DePaul talks common sense like hey we shouldn't be in this uh, death, tra- this literal death trap. When the 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 guys come back to get their juice boxes, we should go. And uh, you get that dinner. It's Trip. It's uh, Archer. Archer's got a very clear, moody chip on his shoulder. He's being a real dick. Trip's trying to talk to him, ask him about stuff. Archer's being—it's just this fucking degree of petulance that singing an adult leadership figure like that is disgusting. Yeah, it's very, like, needlessly edgy teenager. I know I said that last week, but you're going to end up getting this vibe, like, way too much from him. Of like, What if it would have been Vulcans? What if it would have been humans? Then what would have just left him? And it's like, yeah. It, but uh, it wasn't. Like, yeah. there is no real discussion had to those points. They're just very basic bitch things to do to try and say humanity, fuck. Yeah. We got to go back and do the right thing. Right. Like that's where they wanted to get to. And so this was the, the, the premise they fed into the scene to get there. And it's super heavy handed. Maybe and, if trip had been like, what we did was wrong. That's not why we're out here. Like, yeah, there needed to be a little angel devil stuff happening in the scene of like to Paul, this is what's logical. This is what's safe. This is what you should do. And then Trip being like, aren't we this out here to Florida. like, yeah, like, aren't we out here to like do the fucking wild shit? Shouldn't we go back and help the, you know, these people, whoever these peoples are, find their derelict ship? Like, shouldn't we involve ourselves when we see something bad happening? like and then try and fix it because we saw that from him when they went to the planet like in the in the premiere he was inclined to intervene whenever he saw something bad so trip she's probably being raped in there we should do something no get back on mission so you know trip being when florida man is chill through this and a charger just being petulant on his own again it, it makes him seem a lot worse and i think maybe they were trying to to build him out to be but uh archer goes Mm, we're going to turn around. We're going to go five hours out. Fuck that past 10 hours. We're going back here and uh, we're going to go. We're going to make this into our thing. We're going to do this. You know, Kathy Janeway might have been the trap queen, but Jonathan Archer is the trap grandpa. (laughs) He's he's the predecessor. He saw a trap and then they left the trap. Paul's like, we shouldn't stay in this trap. And he left. He's like, no, 
the, the fate of every Starfleet captain is to fall into these traps. So let it be written. You know, what the Borg do to people is like the nightmare of the Federation in the 24th century. I'm going to say that uh, what the Borg are doing to people, I might view as a little uh, less bad compared to being strung upside down and drained into fucking Yeah, being paper. murdered and then having your corpse be juiced by your murderers. That's pretty rough. So T-Paul, at this point, I think needs to be like... Um, you I know, like maybe- how you say to Paul, T-Paul, like T-Pain. Tupac. She's got the hard T, all right? Yeah, you're giving it the hard T. I like it. You're giving it the hard T. I, I think if I was her, I'd be like, you know what? I made a, I've, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Not only am I going to die on this goddamn ship, but I'm probably going to be tortured to death in the process. I, I would like to go back to the Vulcan Covenant or whatever now. Please and thank you. So they fly back. Uh, you know, they arm people up. They're like, you know, we know this is going to be a bad situation. Bring all the equipment over. I want to say for the record, I think the phase pistols look like shit. Yeah, like the fucking uh, plasma pistol was a way better looking prop. They actually lament that in in the memory alpha. And I even remember that being lamented at the time of like the prop that they built for the thing they ended up not using was well, like way a little better. Tykes toy. That thing looks like it, it's like it's made for toddlers. It's stupid. Yeah. It's terrible. It looks, it looks like a ray gun from a, a cereal. It's like than, a fucking hairdryer. It sucks. Where, whereas the first one was like this cool, like Glock looking pistol. That, yeah. Like looked like it would be if the first generation phaser. Uh, so they go over there. They set up a couple different work areas. One is in the cargo hold or whatever, where everybody's being killed. Flock starts doing some on-site autopsies, trying to figure out what's going on. And then uh, you get Trip and Hoshi up in uh, the bridge, I'm assuming, trying to hack the communications network. The episode does a good job on one hand, yet it's completely unbelievable on the other hand to give Hoshi enough time to do her homework and get familiar with the language. Uh, but the notion that she is able to somewhat speak the language enough where she can de-escalate a wartime situation on the fly under pressure, like they, they make one leap too many when it comes to her doing the thing. And I understand the whole point was to show how pivotal she is to the ship for her own self, for the, for the viewer to know she's pivotal for also for the character to have a, reduced self-doubt you know to 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 fit in better with the mission to know she should stay that she can do this i get all of that but they just made the task so large that when at the end she just starts like speaking fluent the language over the course of like what 20 minutes from when she heard it for the first time to having a conversation like the way they did the klingon stuff in the pilot was way better because you could tell it took days for her to figure out how to really figure out how to talk, speak in Klingon. And it's super genius that she is. She can do it in days, sure. but that's more realistic than this. Oh, well, I heard it for the first time 45 minutes ago. Let's fucking do this. I you took know? seven years of German. And I don't think I can tell you how tall I am in German. So she has to be at some point. The traveler is going to come along and like, harvest her to go off into the future to hang out with Wesley Crusher or something. Cause this is, this is the real whiz kid of the Federation here. I will give her one episode and this is the episode uh, for her to pull off a feat like this and put the amount of like stress, emotional struggle and everything else she had to go through to 
to get through the episode. You know, like when she gets into the crunch time when oh, we're being attacked and here's the other alien and we need his help, but you need to talk him off the ledge so he doesn't attack us too and get him on a like that whole unbelievable scenario there. Like this is the this is the one hall pass I'm going to give her for one of those. And if I see this come up again or repeatedly, uh, I'm going to be I'm gonna be real salty about it. <laughs> I would prepare yourself. Then. Uh, is okay. this the true manifestation of Borg pixie dust? I mean, it's not that bad. It's not it's not it's not handled quite this poorly, I think, in terms of just setting up too big a task that gets solved too easily. But there's definitely a little bit of, you know, Asian space magic now and then when she just kind of cracks the code when it's convenient for it to be cracked. I think it's because I've never (laughs) I've never had to warp on a warp engine. I, you know that you're, you're talking about magic. I've never had to fix a transporter pattern buffer. It's it's magic. Who knows what the real difficulty is on that? But I can tell you right now, conjugating vowels and and pronouns and stuff like that's some shit people can actually do and can tell you how hard it is. Yeah, uh, or how impossible it can be when you're talking about a new language. So they get out there. Uh, they get on the communications relay that the alien ship, which is what they call the Axnar, I believe. Yeah, the race, the the good guy race is the Axnar. Uh, they broadcast a distress beacon through the ship's own communication network, and uh, they continue researching. They find out that the reason, probable reason why these guys are being organ harvested is because they produce some sort of a byproduct that turns them into like dolphin fins or shark fin soup. And that uh, there's a hot commodity for whatever their tears are made out of or whatever the fuck it is. The bad news for Enterprise is that the bad guys come back and they have the most bad guy looking ship of all time. It's like a flying fucking spider scarab beetle or something. Almost kind of looked Romulan in color scheme. And I was like, man, are they going to bust the Romulans? Did the Romulans used to be like suit like like. Vampire bad dudes like that would be cool. All right. I, I do appreciate we never saw them, right? Like you're left to your own imagination to who these ghoulish fucks actually were. Uh, but they show up and uh, everyone's got to like, okay, time to get off this fucking boat and back onto our ship. We've got to get into our shuttlecraft, fly the shuttlecraft back to Enterprise. And then we have to go through the laborious docking procedure because we have an arm that's going to grab the thing and put it into the bottom of the ship because, you know, we don't have like a fancy like shuttle bay thing yeah we haven't invented shields we have to have pressurized bays the other ships just starts you know pounding enterprise and taking out its warp engine and creating problems and then the it becomes increasingly likely that uh these these spider aliens are gonna suck all the fucking blood out of everyone on enterprise because all their weapons don't work. As we noted, there's this big buildup to the torpedoes and Malcolm finally shoots a torpedo at them. And it just bat- literally bounces off its shields completely ineffective. And shoots a second one and it just gets blown up by a phaser. And then very anticlimactic. They, they all just both shrug at each other. Like, that's it. That's what I got. <laughs> Guess <That's>... we're fucked. <laughs> it's like, go distribute weapons to the crew. We're about to be boarded. Ass- <laughs> Get those ugly ass phase pistols out. Um, I did like the shuttlecraft docking procedure. I, yeah, I liked it as a stress builder. I thought the doors flipping open and how they actually disembark from the shuttlecraft is really neat. How it's got that submarine feel. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous. 
Archer leaving the shuttle bay and then getting up on the bridge and walking out in his normal uniform like it was Batman coming down the the fireman pole in the old Adam West. Like, ah, magically back in my other clothes now. Why is it that the torpedo works the one time, but it doesn't work the first time? Is it Did the other ship have a chance to fire off a few rounds and then that drops the shields and gives them an opening? Or is it something to do with targeting? Or is that just a dud torpedo? I think they were implying it had to do with targeting, but it looked like it bounced off its shield. So it was probably that the other ship shot at it and lowered its shields because it was it was a great juxtaposition. So what happens is they're the they shoot the torpedoes. They do nothing. Ship comes. It's about to board them and steal all their essence after that. They all get murdered. Then the the Axanar other Axanar ship shows up and is like, what the fuck is going on? That's where you get all of the climatic communication stuff with Hoshi. Again, I, I like Hoshi as a character. I like her actress. I think my fault with the plot line is not her and not how she kind of went through a lot of the development in this episode, but just the the premise of the problem she's asked to solve at the end is superhuman. Super, yeah, beyond the capacity of anyone to do. But, you know, she works through it. She's filled with doubt. Archer's got to, like, you got to, you, you, we all are going to die if you don't. So these dudes have tow cables and they're cutting holes in our deck. I'm getting some real vibes of Vidian, like, murder boarding parties here. Uh, the other Axnar dude being like, what's going on here? There's our ship and it's all fucked up and dead. And here's one ship mounting another ship, drilling a hole in it while you're frantically appearing to beg for help. Like, I don't know who the bad guy is here. I know you guys don't speak the same language, but you speak in context. Like Mm -hmm. I've been to places where I don't speak the language. I just gesture at things. You understand each other. One guy is getting beat up by the other guy. Who's the problem here? Uh, And then Archer's like dogpiling the situation. Like tell him we need help. Tell him we're friendly. Well, they, you know, the message is sent from theirs to tell them to check their energy signatures of our communications and see that it's it's like, dude, she, she can't even figure out how to say what what was the word she couldn't figure out how to like bathtub or something. Well, she couldn't even accurately tell them that they were the one that like the other guys did it. Like that was the first thing like, no, it's those dudes. Spider, the spider people did it. I, I don't know how to say evil in their language. And you're telling me to have them uh, cross reference energy patterns like chill out, Archer. She's able to, I don't know, get out a magic genie lamp and, and rub off one of her three wishes to fucking save the day and somehow start speaking to this guy. Get enough. It goes, oh, yeah. Oh, wait. You. Oh, you're the good guys. The guys drilling a hole in your fucking deck when the clearly evil spaceship. They're the bad. Okay, I got you. Okay, hey, here's my Death Star fucking laser. I'm going to blast this fool. I I mean, the juxtaposition that I really liked was the Death Star laser hits the thing. And then Malcolm's like, I can shoot a torpedo now. And he shoots it. And it's like, and there's a little like, and he's very satisfied. He's like, yay. And then the Death Star laser hits it again. It's like, it's, they made it real clear that that torpedo sucks at every stage. And I'm just like, if this dude's over here punching with fucking Death Star lasers, if, if this, if this is species 8472, right? 
how did that first ship get fucking punked? Oh, they could have gotten snuck up on. It could have been a like they answered a distress call and they're like, surprise! You know, like I, there's ways, right? Maybe they were sleeping. You uh, never know. Maybe it was a maybe it was a Yahoo chat room meetup gone wrong. <laughs> there you go. He went over to some weird person's apartment and uh, there's Ooh. a bunch of wine coolers there and just a very <laughs> weird, just a very awkward vibe. It's the early 2000s. What was this? Does this still end 64? Do they have GameCube yet? 2001 uh we are getting into playstation 2 territory no gamecube yet though do you want to come over and play golden eye we promise not to string you up from the ceilings and drain your guts we are the axnar <laughs> we are real fucking stupid we will believe your simple tr- oh you got us you got me good you fuckers so and we, we wrap the episode with them having an off-camera first contact with the axnar they hear, you know, they, they finally satisfy their, you know, their curiosity. And of course, um, you've got Hoshi finally putting the slug on a planet with an argon atmosphere and fucking that entire planet's biosphere up probably forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You thought what happened in uh, Friendship One was a bad move for Earth. Nothing <laughs> in comparison to what they do to these guys. Uh, I wonder if the Axnar has any beef at all with the fact that, like, I don't know, cultural, religious differences about uh, autopsies and flocks just cutting everybody up. We just cut up the one guy. I did. Wait, we thought you were cool and now we see you're mutilated. You were the bad guys. I did like that. They blew up the juice box before they left. <laughs> like Archer's like, oh, yes, the bad guys thing. are here. Fuck this thing. Bang. <laughs> like, Best not let them have this. I would like to see like ectoplasmic juices just pouring out of that thing everywhere. And then, you know, I was very relieved to see that by the end of the episode, we're not rehashing the intro and they got a little bit better uh, end credit music than than what I was expecting. Uh, but, you know, the the thrust of this episode is it steals Hoshi's resolve that she does want to be a part of the crew, that she's integral, that she does need to be there. And apparently communications at this stage in uh, Earth technology is actually more important than their completely fucking worthless weapons well so, no, but i like that though like their weapons suck they're gonna have to talk no, 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 their way out of problems yeah and uh, that's a very start that that is at least burman era star trek right as you, you yeah. talk your way through a problem um and uh, for the first time ever that you know when those talks go south that you don't have federation super technology there to let you fucking speak softly and carry a big stick um Again, we're we're laying groundwork. I'm not expecting amazing plot. Uh, I don't know if the slug is the right B plot or whatever. Uh, I'm disappointed to to see that. Despite uh, Archer's resolutions to do better, he's still going to be a petulant little. I'm sorry. Well, a he's going to be a petulant, moody Earthling who is going to play this Paladin card, and B be needlessly antagonistic to T. Paul, who is for some reason stupid enough to be sticking around. You're going to spend the next two years referring to her as T-Paul, aren't you? No, you're going to spend the next two years referring to her T-Paul with me. You know better. I don't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this fight. God damn it, I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate hey, you so much. Of- I did. I did. And so, you know what? Let's go back to where I get my vengeance. What are we watching next week? Hold on. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to give her some character. And this is something I found that apparently there's can only be what a maximum of 28 different names that uh, Vulcan women can be. Cause it's all T apostrophe P something L right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's even less if it's just a vowel that's going to be in there. So uh, the heavy enunciation of the T 
is my attempt to try and give her a little bit of something unique here. Uh, we're moving into season one, episode four, Strange New World. In my picture, I see uh, Archer and Mayweather looking at their view screen, which is kind of laughably small, man. Like, I think my TV's bigger than their view screen. Archer sends an away team to a habitable, luscious planet for observation. But when a storm occurs, the team begins to experience paranoid delusions. Hey, welcome to space madness, motherfuckers. I mean, we're two for two right out the gate, right? <laughs> you better hope there's not a little cock blocking monkey down there while he's at it. All right. Well, thank you to everyone uh, for tuning into this episode of Vigor, please. We always invite your feedback at Vigor, please at Twitter, Vigor, please at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group at Vigor, please trauma support group. And if you're up for it, we would really appreciate a review, particularly if you listen to us on Spotify. Just a quick couple presses of your thumb would be a big help to us. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>